Hi, folks. Steve Urban here. Today's episode of the RouterFlex podcast is sponsored by Marketing 360. My good friend J.B. Kellogg and his team do such a fantastic job for us and so many other companies. Marketing 360 is the number one platform for small business, and it's everything you need to grow your business. If you need marketing support, I really encourage you to contact them at marketing360.com slash writerflex, and we'll add that link to the description of this episode for easy reference. On today's episode of the RouterFlex podcast, we have guest Mike Sorelli and George Randall from EF Overwatch on the show. EF Overwatch is the premier special operations forces and combat aviation talent acquisition firm. They recruit and source exceptional military leaders with a mindset of extreme ownership. Mike and George also have a book coming out soon titled The Talent War, How Special Operations Wins on Talent. The recording of this podcast was done on April 1st, 2020, and the anticipated release date for the book is summer 2020. I was honored to speak with Mike and George, not only for their service to our country, but because of their beliefs and philosophies on recruiting and hiring the right talent. George Randall and Mike Sorelli on the Rider Flex podcast today. It's an honor, gentlemen. Thanks so much for being on. Steve, thank you. Appreciate it, Steve. Crazy world we're living in right now. I don't, uh, we, we, let's not spend a bunch of time on the coronavirus, but we are recording this for the listeners, by the way, on April 1st, 2020. So if you're listening to this six months or a year from now, uh, you know, just, just, as, <laughs> just as a reference point, we're recording this when we're all uh, trapped at home and quarantined. I'm guessing you guys are uh, the same in Austin. Both Are both of you in Austin today? We are. Yeah, yeah, we are. And, uh, yeah, quarantined. Uh, but I, I, know, I, I know Mike and I both seem to be staying almost even busier at this point. You know, it, it, the benefit is I don't have to be in the same room as George. So this is a uh, – <laughs> There you go. Uh, my uh, – <laughs> Uh, now, are you both uh, you both married with kids at home? Like, who are you trapped with? Who are you quarantined with, George? Let's start with you. Uh, so it, it's me and my wife, and I think I had to reintroduce myself because she never sees as much of me, which is good and bad for both of us. So, um, but no, kids are grown off the payroll, and they're out and about, so it's just the two of us. Okay. Mike, how about you? I'm uh, quarantined with my wife uh, right now. Things are, uh, you know, copacetic. We're, we're getting through this <laughs> together. Uh, my children uh, are with their mom in, uh, in Virginia Beach, and they are uh, quarantined as well. Okay. Okay. My wife's been home now. I think this is her 15th day in a row because she's been her, – her job is closed down too. And she's sitting on the couch with me last night. And I can't remember what I said, but – Anyway, we're sitting down, having a little glass of wine, wrapping up the day, and she looks over and she goes, you're driving me nuts. <laughs> uh, I think the divorce rate is going to go through the roof. So don't, don't be on that end of the uh, – uh, It's good, though. You know, hey, it, it's, um, it is uh, refreshing, though, to, to dive into some things, like you said, Mike, that you, you have time for now. You, you know, 
you're not at the office, but you have time to clean up some other things, whether it's at home or whatever, or maybe even more quiet time just to focus professionally. Um, by the way, since both of you are in Austin, I'll just tell you, I met my wife at a little uh, honky-tonk two-step right outside of Austin about 20 years ago. Um, so uh, Austin's one of, my, one of my favorite towns. I lived there for about five years, and that's where I met my, my wife, Kim. Um, outside of Mar Marble Falls, which is west of Austin. I don't know if you guys know where that's at. Uh, yes. Yeah, so nice, so nice. And Mike, you met your wife here in Austin too. I, I did. She's an Austinite. And um, yeah, uh, needless to say, we're not moving anytime soon. So. Yeah, cool, cool town. Great town, right? Just really, really awesome town. Um, okay, so, you know, for the listeners, let's, uh, let's do a little personal overview. Um, Mike, if, Mike, if you want to go first, just, you know, give uh, everybody a nice kind of overview. Mike Sorelli and maybe a little, little personal stuff, maybe, uh, you know, where he grew up and then some, some military and some family stuff. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely, Steve. So uh, I was born and raised. Uh, our, our family has always been from uh, San Francisco. Um, and, and, you know, when I turned 18, uh, even though that is a beautiful area, great people, uh, I knew my path was the military, uh, eventually enlisted in the Marine Corps, uh, served as a recon Marine, which was their version of special operations back in the day. I was also a uh, scout sniper. If you don't know what a scout sniper is, it's uh, uh, the Marine Corps' ability to reach out long distances and say hello to uh, not-so-friendly uh, people. <laughs> and, uh, you know, after a little bit, they said, hey, you're, you're doing a half-decent job. Uh, you know, you've only been involved in three alcohol-related incidents. I think you're executive material. material. And uh, I'm joking. And uh, they actually sent me back to school. That's, uh, that's how cool, uh, you know, the military is. Is there one of the largest... Uh, uh, you know, funders uh, of education for their, their workforce. And that was my first taste in Texas. They sent me to Texas A&M. But eventually when I was at Texas A&M and went through Marine OCS, uh, I've worked with some Navy SEALs. And I'm like, that's my next, that's my next challenge. So uh, I just have had a track record of jumping from one community to another. Uh, and because of that, I've always been a new guy in every organization. Served 15 years in the SEAL teams, uh, 10 combat deployments, and uh, eventually made it to a very specific group within the SEAL teams, uh, which we refer to as a tier one force, very small percentage, and uh, spent uh, just under uh, you know, seven years there, uh, loved it. And eventually, uh, as I got close to my retirement, knew that my business acumen was low. So came back to Texas, went to the University of Texas, got my MBA, and uh, got first into the nonprofit space, helping veterans transition and really just became uh, infatuated with this uh, you know, concept of building teams through talent acquisition. And if you look at it, special operations community is a Harvard business case example in how to uh, build elite teams. And there's, there's principles there that absolutely transcend into the, uh, the business world. And now currently uh, co-founder and CEO of EF Overwatch, is that correct? Yeah, and uh, George is on board as a senior leader within the company, and uh, our two partners are Jocko Willink and Leif Batten, the co-authors of Extreme Ownership, still one of the top uh, you know, best-selling leadership books, uh, as well as Dichotomy of Leadership, and uh, we've got an awesome, awesome team, and it's fun to come into work every day. 
Awesome. Thanks for that overview. When you went to A&M, did you live in College Station for those two or three years? Let me put it to you this way. I finished college in three years and got out of there as, uh, as quickly as possible. Uh, coming from San Francisco, and, you know, when I flew in, I'm like, oh, I think, because I didn't visit Texas A&M. Okay. Uh, I just showed up, and I'm like, oh, yeah, this is not like California, because I was stationed <laughs> no. in San Diego. Yeah. So, uh, re, you know, Texas A&M provided me a lot of uh, opportunities. And, uh, you know, funny enough, I went from being like a 2.8 GPA in high school to a 3.7 at Texas A&M. I assure you, over the uh, four years before the Marine Corps sent me to school, I did not get smarter. Uh, this just goes back to the military. Uh, and George and I say this all the time. The military is one of the world's preeminent leadership development programs. The Marine Corps taught me the leadership foundation that has made me successful in every venture uh, I've been involved in since. They taught me honor, courage, commitment, discipline. And uh, that's why we love what we do, placing veterans into senior management positions in the business world. Well, you've been involved in uh, two organizations that are uh, very strong on the alumni and the brotherhood, so to speak, right? I mean, the a and I've, I've never met anybody from any other college that is more into the whole alumni and taking care of each other and the brotherhood. I mean, A&M guys, I mean, they're super serious about that. At least the ones, I've met, the ones I've met. And, uh, and, I'm, and I'm just assuming Navy SEALs are the same way, right? Like you would just do anything for each other, even, even years later for the rest of your life. So, hey, congrats on the career and thank you for your service. Um, just, you know, exceptional stuff so far. So really appreciate it. George, um, now I know that, that Navy SEALs kind of look down on the Army guys, right? Don't they? I don't know. I'm just giving you a hard time. <laughs> they do. They, they, they can from time to time. But, you know, as we start this conversation, I'm at the distinct advantage over my brother, colleague, and best friend is a Navy SEAL because he comes from San Francisco, who I think happened to have the second best football team in the National Football League. And so I would start my story that I'm growing up in Kansas City, Missouri. Sweet. So, hey. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that, that's been a, a discussion point between the two of us. So. I'm sure. Um, no, you know, that's interesting. Um, I think you have those inter-service rivalries, and, and you know, um, and I always thought that way when I was in the military. And, you know, that, you know, working with Mike um, and how we kind of come together, it's just basically that, you know, Mike gave me a phrase that he learned that I've carried with me and drove across my team, which is the best idea wins. And, um, you know, working with Mike, working with Jocko, working with Leif and, and some others, they're the most humble people on the planet. And uh, they don't talk any slower to me because I came from the Army, um, which is really good. And I appreciate that. Um, but they're a humble group, um, absolutely driven. And, you know, that's been the, the, you know, one of the best parts outside of our friendship of working with Mike and, and getting to know a few that's in the great. community is just, they just get shit done and absolutely driven and humble people that it's, it's an honor to work, work with. And I didn't have that opportunity earlier in my career and I'm glad I'm getting it now. So you grew up in Kansas city, George, and then, um, did you, did you go straight into the service and then you went to Missouri state? Walk us through some of your history. Uh, yeah. Um, well, you know, I came from, you know, middle, lower middle class, had to pay my own way through school. So I joined the army, enlisted in the army as an artilleryman. Um, you know, and at some point during my uh, reserve service, um, 
at the time with my ego and my sense of, you know, strong sense of self. I had a lot of opinions and somebody said, Hey, you know, if you're so smart, why don't you go be one of those officers? So, you know, I kind of shrugged my shoulders and said, how hard could it be? So, you know, got my degree, went and did that. Um, uh, I know it's very difficult to tell slightly older than Mike, slightly older. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, I, uh, I joined the army and um, literally fate hit me really, really well. And that I fell backwards into, you know, a good assignment in the Berlin Brigade in 1989. So immediately was thrust into the middle of history. Um, you know, it's just the luck of the draw where you get assigned. And, and, and I was very fortunate because I was surrounded by, you know, just some top-notch leaders, some of the best, you know, to this day. Um, and that, you know, found something in me where they can impart, you know, their wisdom, their guidance, and sometimes their anger and wrath, of course. Uh, but yeah, I spent time in as an officer, ended up uh, commanding. Um, but the way that the Army was, you know, looking, you know, I really like talent. I like leading teams. And so I jumped into corporate America through a veteran placement firm. Um, and in short order, just kind of realized that, you know, I didn't think of it initially, but recruiting was really something that I, I just kind of fell in love with and um, took off. And now, you know, um, ha have had several stints as the global head of talent acquisition for some marquee firms. Um, and then now, you know, with EF Overwatch, uh, starting to, you know, really build something that, that is centered around talent, is centered around excellence. and you know, the real principles that, 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 that Marine Recon, the Navy SEALs, that the Army, that really hold dear about what talent is in this world and making sure that we help get that into companies, you know, so you can make, you know, companies compete at the highest level. Great career so far, George. And by the way, for the listeners, uh, I did an interview with George already. So if they, uh, if they go to the Rider Flex YouTube page, they'll be able to find that great first interview. Really appreciate you coming back on the show, by the way. But congrats on uh, the career and thank you for your service as well. Uh, both of you guys mm -hmm. really, really appreciate it. By the way, just so you know, as I prepared for this podcast over the last couple of days, I haven't eaten any sweets. I haven't put any sugar in my coffee. I did a few extra setups. I did a few extra push-ups and. And I, I'm trying to, you know, my wife's like, what are you doing? I was like, well, I'm interviewing these guys. And they're, in, they're in a lot better shape than me. <laughs> so, uh, I, you know, I was getting ready. Uh, you guys look great, by the way, for your age. And George, you, you, you know, you, yeah, you look like uh, you guys, yeah, you're close. Maybe, maybe I'd guess maybe like two years older. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's really, really close. You know, the uh, – after this, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you're the you're the one that has the hair. I mean, look at that beautiful head of hair he's got, right, Mike? I mean, come on, that's nice. He, he, he's a yeah. um, he's a handsome man. I hate to uh, to admit that. He's he's just don't no. You're not going to talk to him afterwards because he's the pretty face of the organization, without a doubt. How did you? And, um, how, how did you? Before I, I want to get an EF Overwatch, just in your own words, kind of give us a. And you have to overwatch summary. But before that, how did you guys become best friends? How did you meet originally? George, it's been almost two years, Mike. <laughs> um, you know, Mike was with, um, with Echelon Front, and uh, we both happened to be in Austin. And I sent him an email uh, when he was working with Bed Ed and launching EF Overwatch. And I said, hey, you know what? We got to meet. 
um, you know, I think we could do some good work together. And, you know, uh, of course, being older, my memory fades a little bit. But the minute that I ran into Mike, I'm like, okay, this is a guy I got to work with. Uh, there's, there's too many synergies about how he views talent, how he, his drive, his excellence, his ideas for creating a world-class talent organization an organization that places talent. I'm like, okay, I got to be part of that. And, you know, for me, the more I talked, the more I was like, I mean, I was a little bit, I'm like, okay, I'm working with this Navy SEAL. This is, this is going to be interesting. Um, but, you know, after, I, I think it was the first five minutes, we, you know, we met at a great restaurant here in, uh, in Austin. And I was like, okay, man, the potential for the two of us working together, I can see a lot in the future. And, and it just took off from there. I got you. Okay. All right. Very good. I was wondering how you met. Mike, um, you want to give us an EF overwatch, like a, a little summary, uh, kind of where, you know, how it started and where it's at today? Yeah. So let me start with this, Steve. I don't have a military, uh, you know, heritage uh, within my family. Uh, you know, my grandfather, much like everyone's grandfather, served in, uh, in, in the military during World War II. Um, in the military, it was just a very odd path from where I came from. In particular, I come from a town called Atherton, which is next to Menlo Park in Palo Alto. Okay. And you're talking about some very affluent tech leaders, national level leaders. And usually most kids go to college. I enlisted in the, uh, the Marine Corps. I didn't know what I was getting into. Uh, let's be honest, kids going into the military, either because they, their, their parents were in the military, there's a long line, or you watch some pretty cool movies. Right. That, uh, <laughs> <laughs> making military and that's what that really got me was uh was the uh the the movie so you know coming highway from uh, heartbreak ridge mm. and i met a force recon marine um i won't give you his full name uh his name was ben and this guy was articulate he was humbly confident he was respectful he he conducted himself with pride and at the age of 18 i'm like i want to be that guy I want to be that guy. So when I went into the military, I was blown away by the quality, uh, you know, the, 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 the pedigree of talent coming from all 50 states. Um, uh, you know, I, I come up with this, this preconceived notion that if you join the military, you really had no other options to enter into the other uh, private sector. Completely smashed. The SEALs have created, and I don't think any organization, the Marine Corps as well, have become what we call talent magnets. And if any corporation or business organization could repl replicate what the Marine Corps, the SEALs, the Green Berets, the Army Rangers uh, do in terms of attracting talent, they would be uh, leaps and bounds, the head of their respective uh, industries. Uh, and watching these men and women uh, face uh, challenges for which there is no page in the playbook and overcome them. Smaller forces going up against larger forces and, and just, uh, you know, uh, eliminating them and, and continually securing success. And as I came into the MBA program, which I knew nothing about the business world and humbling, I was like 39, uh, surrounded by 27 year olds. And they blew me away. I loved these millennials. They, they probably got me through that MBA program more than the, uh, the professors did. Um, is I just saw an absolute need for talent coming out of the special operations community and the military at large. We're talking about our, our, our top, you know, 25% coming out of the military have an absolute place in the business world to drive organizations forward. And we've seen this, we've seen bad organizations that bring in a few of the right leaders 
and the culture changes changes uh, overnight. And, and that's really where the premise was um, for you Overwatch. Funny enough, I went on Fox News, and uh, the uh, interviewer said, "Hey, you know, so tell us how you're ha- helping veterans." And I, I stopped it right there. I'm like, "Actually, I'm not helping veterans. I'm helping American businesses mm. with the talent they need to drive their organizations forward. We need to reverse." that, uh, oh, the poor veterans need jobs. No, there are some very high-performing veterans coming out that can step into your organizations. The learning agility to learn that industry, your organization in a matter of months, and become a contributing member uh, of the team. And that's the bottom line. And that's what we, you know, that's why George and I love what we do. We're, we're, we're consumed by this thing called the, uh, the talent war. And it is a war. And that's the name of the new book, right? The Talent War. It is. <laughs> okay, I want to I want to get into the book for sure, and um, let me ask you a couple of questions about EF Overwatch real quick. So, was it? Uh, did you? So, you were a co-founder in 2018. Is that is that accurate? It was uh, 2018, the year I retired. And remember, my first venture into the business world was a uh, organization called Betty Foundation. Right. Uh, basically, we we set up a MBA light. Let's call it that a uh, one month to two month program where uh, very high performing veterans came in that were transitioning out and, and we took their business acumen from nearly nothing to uh, to a very high level and that organization uh, was highly successful. But uh, the number one question Leif Babin and Jocko Willink have at the end of working with these companies is where can we find 10 more of you? I need 10 leaders like you in my company now i don't care if they have industry experience or not i need that growth mindset and at the time jocko and Leif, you know it's a leadership training consultancy they said hey we're, we're not in a talent acquisition game or a recruiting game I and uh I, I served with both those guys at seal team three jocko was my uh task unit commander Leif was uh what we call a platoon commander uh, above me and i said hey fellas you keep getting this question i built some competency in this game let's start a talent acquisition wing of Echelon Front. I see. And how it was created. And shortly after that, I met George. And what George brings is all the talent acquisition experience that I lack, the nuances. I gotcha. And that's where it was just a perfect, I hate to say it, marriage, George. Don't get excited. Um, <laughs> and that's why I think we clicked only, not only on a personal level, but because yeah. we, we want to change the game for American businesses. We want to make this economy yeah. much stronger. Okay. Okay. And how did you come up with the name, by the way? Why EF Overwatch? Just curious. Yeah. So Echelon Front is the name of the leadership training uh, company. And uh, so that's what EF stands for. Overwatch was a mission we ran during the Battle of Ramadi. Oh. We would set up sniper Overwatch positions to support the Army infantry and the Marine infantry on the ground who was fighting house to house and street to street. So we would overwatch them in order for them to be successful. They were the, the primary uh, effort. They were the mm-hmm. main effort. So that if they want their mission, the entire organization would win. We're overwatching not only veterans, but American companies. Let us help you uh, secure the talent you need to keep driving forward. Perfect name. I love it. Okay, very good. I didn't know that. I'm glad you shared that. So as So today then... If I ran a hundred million dollar business and I needed a new COO or president or CEO or VP of sales, I could call EF Overwatch and you would help me find somebody, somebody that 
came from special forces or came from, you know, the military of some kind? Or do you go even beyond that with, with helping them find talent? We do. Uh, we, we can absolutely do that. We place a number of C-suite uh, veteran leaders in, in the companies and they're doing great. And guess what? Not all of them had industry experience. It's, it's one of the things we got to make sure that the business understands is like, we, we need you to get over this industry experience thing. And I'll, I'll talk about that in a bit, Steve. Um, and these leaders have stepped in and, and the phone call we get from the CEOs is like, best hire I've ever made. Sweet. Now, we, uh, we don't want to help just the high-performing senior military members. We want to help pretty much all veterans. We've recently created a platform uh, that's in its infancy called EF Legion. And it is a jobs board, but what we're providing those veterans is le additional leadership training uh, on top of what they learned <clears throat> in the military. And, and George uh, is helping them with the career development piece, helping them identify what's the next move for them through career and industry research, uh, self-assessments to identify their strengths and weaknesses and where that, you know, that really falls into the private sector. And then ultimately, you know, how to prepare your resume, how to win the interview, how to convey the value you can bring to that organization. And then we also provide leadership training after they get hired as well. They have access to staying in touch with Jocko and Leif Bab and the rest of the echelon front leadership instructors as they run into different uh, obstacles or scenarios in the business world and how to properly overcome those as a, uh, as a emotionally uh, intelligent leader. Okay, so so EF Legion really is is centered centered around candidates, and EF Overwatch is really the talent acquisition arm that focuses on the relationship with the clients. Is that <clears throat> accurate? Yeah, yeah, it is. And you know, one of the things that we're able to do is, you know, with our combined experience and what makes it unique for companies is that we're also doing the consulting piece. I mean, okay. you know, Steve, you've been in the industry a lot of time. There's a lot of people who will turn to companies like ours, mm -hmm. you know, and it's, and it's more order taking. That's not the case because, you know, with what Mike and I know about business, talent, the military, special operations, combat, and, and leadership in general, is we're helping them, you know, define that role. And we're also helping to make that match. And, you know, one of the things that's certainly making us different with the senior military leaders and military leaders in general is we're helping them bridge that gap um, and not bridge it, you know, bridge it on the interview uh, side because, you know, sometimes it's difficult to articulate given the built-in humility piece from the military side, having them overcome that and then transition those skills, not into corporate speak, but impact speak, things that show how they're gonna be impactful. And so we're bringing those two sides together and then the overwatch piece, you know, we're keeping a watch on them to make sure that that assimilation that those challenges that they're confronting, that we're still there to provide that, that consulting, that leadership, that training, that coaching, that mentorship to make them successful in those companies. Um, you know, there, there's nothing more that Mike and I want to see, you know, U.S. businesses thrive in their space and, and dominate and win. Um, additionally, we want to make sure the same thing happens from the veterans. And, and, and I'm sure you've seen a number of recruiting firms that are spray and pray for lack of a better term. Yeah. And so, you know, we're selective when we work with the companies and selective when we work with the veterans to make sure that we're getting the right match and that it happens for the right reasons for everybody. You guys talk a, a, a little bit about, and I've seen, um, you know, you've shared with me some, some thoughts for the book and I've seen some, some early pieces of the book. You talk about the nine core characteristics 
that make up, you know, a high potential candidate. Can you, do you mind talking about that a little bit? I don't know how much you want to share before the book comes out, but what I, what I really um, found interesting about what you sent me and what I agree with is, is identifying high potential candidates that may not be a perfect fit on paper. Maybe they don't check every single box on paper for the job requirement, mm -hmm. but they have a shit ton of, of potential. <laughs> and, and this person could probably end up being a C-level person if you would just, you know, bring them into your organization. I realize that they might not have sold coffee tables, but they sold a lot of other things, by the way, and they really show a lot of other potential. Can you talk about that? Because just as a, you know, because RiderFlex is a recruiting firm too. And I got to tell you, if, if you ask me to line up or if you ask me to list the things that drive me the most nuts about clients, it's, it's when a client says, yeah, but I noticed that they haven't sold purple coffee tables and I really need a candidate that's sold purple. I just, that just drives me nuts. And, and I know you talk about this in the book. So just, can you go into that a little bit? <laughs> it's Mike's pet peeve. I'm going to let Mike tee off on that because so, it, it, it drives him nuts. I think you've seen this is, those clients that say, well, they haven't sold those purple tables it is we're over specializing the, the market is, and there's a lot of risk with that. The reason uh, these special operations leaders and military leaders um, are so adaptable is because they are the perfect general managers. Right. When you think about it, they draw from such a broad range of experiences that you throw a problem in front of them. They will solve it much quicker and somebody that has a very niche specialization. I mean, one deployment they're in Iraq, the next deployment they're in Afghanistan, the, the deployment after that they're in uh, East Somalia. And they had to adapt to each of those environments, very different uh, cultures, very different problem sets. And that's why they're so adaptable in the uh, space. So we did, and the funny thing is we came up with nine foundational characteristics. The funny story behind this is it became very heated uh, amongst oh. Mm -hmm. uh, George, myself, and we had a main uh, contributor, a uh, guy named Dr. Josh Cotton, who's an organizational uh, psychologist. Funny enough, he actually worked with the Navy SEALs and Green Berets assessing their assessment and selection process. That's what the special operations calls it, assessment okay. and selection. That is the hiring process for the business world. And so they brought in this organizational psychologist, uh, Dr. Cotton, to improve how they hire. And now he works for uh, Honeywell uh, within their uh, talent acquisition uh, arm. But I think our initial list was like 30 core attributes. And really, to agree and combine certain uh, attributes was very difficult. And I, honestly, I think that conversation went on for probably three or four months until we said, hey, we've got to get this down to something that's, that's manageable. Yeah. And we actually thought we had to get it lower than uh, the nine. Each special operations community has a core set of attributes they look for. And these nine really are a uh, aggregate, uh, you know, collection of those. We, we had to rename some, uh, you know, what the MARSOC community, which are these special operations soldiers within Marine Corps, awesome, um, are slightly different than what the SEALs look for. Okay. But generally, they're all the same. I'll, I'll list them off real quick. They are drive, resiliency, adaptability, humility, which is key, uh, integrity, effective intelligence, what we call team ability, which is teamwork, 
uh, curiosity, and uh, of course, emotional strength. And, and we're happy to go into uh, you know a few of those. It, it, but here's the bottom line, and George will, will, will mirror this as well. No one person is going to have these nine uh, core attributes. So companies may take this book and, and say, we need to find people with these nine uh, core attributes. One, what we explain in the book is that each job requires a set of attributes. And it's probably about three to five that you're looking for. Yeah, you know, and ultimately, a good hire only may possess two of those core attributes at a very high level vice all five, or verse all five. So um, additionally, we've found that these are the attributes that if you take high performers in any industry, regardless of their domain expertise, they all, for, for better or less, have a lot of these, uh, these core attributes. How do you, George, how do you convince clients, how do guys like me convince clients that character and, you know, um, the high potential for, for, you know, being an awesome employee outweigh previous experiences or, or specific skill sets. How do you have that conversation? Cause it's, it, it can be difficult, especially like you said, this, yeah. pray, this pray and spray mentality, you know, we'll, we'll get clients call us and say, send me five resumes tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. You know, one of the easiest I think one of the most abbreviated ways, because, you know, when, when we're talking with clients, you know, it's a, it's a limited time span, but Mike and I go into this uh, in the book. And one of those things is to know what you're looking for. And we ask people to, you know, make sure that you understand what your your most successful people look like. And so if you're talking with clients and you start asking them about the attributes that define their most successful people in their firm, then all of a sudden you're changing the conversation from like Mike mentioned that, you know, industry experience, we got to get them away from that to where you're talking about the core attributes. You know, if you're in sales, mm. resiliency has got to come up, mm. you know, integrity is absolutely non-negotiable. Um, and, it, and it's even more so in financial related roles or the financial services industry. But the way we have that with clients is understanding, look, if you talk about what's making somebody successful and you have that conversation with a the client, they'll give you a wish list. But if you get them talking about the attributes, mm, mm. that's what we need to be talking about when it comes to talent. The industry experience will drop further down the list. Mm -hmm. You know, certainly if we find somebody, you know, if you're finding somebody that, that's a, been a special operator, but they've been working in this firm, it's not exactly a great fit, but they, you know, they happen to have that industry experience, well, it's a plus, but it's not a requirement. So getting clients to talk about what makes their best people the best, and then taking those attributes and lining them up against what Mike and I have, have demonstrated in this book, time and time again, are critical to the definition of talent, gets us in the conversation we need to be in. Mm. How did you guys decide to write this book? I mean, we used we at the bar one night and one of you guys... <laughs> looks at the other guy and says, hey, we should write a book. I mean, how did that, how'd that work? <laughs> I think um, go ahead. It, so you just said it. A client calls you and says, I need five uh, resumes now. It, it, it's almost like an order taking service. Let, let, me, let me step back. Uh, again, we looked at the special operations community, and they have created – we are giving this to the business world, what the how the special operations assesses and selects. Uh, it is a business case in the fact that industry experience is the least important thing. And in fact, Google did a study and of the 10 most important things in their, their managers, 
and industry experience fell in, fell in at like number nine. Um, mm -hmm. Do you think the special operations uh, community goes out and recruits for industry experience? Do you think we go to the high schools, look at a hundred young men, say, hey, who's got uh, industry experience? Right. Yeah. <laughs> we wouldn't have anyone. So by necessity, we've, we've had to become very good at assessing these attributes and knowing what we're looking for in our best yeah. operators. And, and that's what creates such a unique hiring process within the special operations community. And then the other thing that businesses often get wrong is, yes, then you have to train them to do their jobs. There is no take off the shelf. It's no plug in place hire uh, it, it, that doesn't exist. You have to train everyone that you hire, no matter how much experience they have. And special operations is one of the most effective, efficient, uh, and agile organizations in the world. And we arguably know that the, the business world has latched on with this fascination for the special operations community. Uh, you know, um, we, at, at the break of our, at the outbreak of every war, uh, our national command authority uh, always says, hey, we need more special operators now. And the leaders within the special operations community look at the leadership and say, we know, we know, but we are not gonna deviate from our process. We're not gonna compromise our process for uh, expediency. And even though uh, there should be 10 special operation operators forward in the region of Afghanistan, they say, hey, the six that are there are going to have to do now. Uh, and hopefully we can send them uh, an additional operator one year from now that has gone through the process that we know is a solid hire that's going to contribute to the team rather than rushing somebody through the hiring process and just sending them out to, uh, to those guys that are forward. Uh, and that takes a lot of ball for push back against your national leaders and say, we understand, but we don't deviate from a proven model that works. You know, I'm, I'm glad, Mike, you just touched on that because, George, I'll tell you, that's the number one thing I thought about as I prepared was um, timing and, and the time it takes to assess these attributes as I was thinking about all the material you sent me and thinking about you guys and what you're doing you know, my, my, the challenge in my own head was, well, this is great. I want to, I want to do all these, this, these, this, these assessments of attributes and I want to figure out their character, but all that takes time. <laughs> and I don't have, and I don't have as much time yeah. as, and I don't have as much time as maybe a special forces group had to decide whether or not Mike Sorelli was truly awesome. How does, how does a recruiting firm or how do, how, how does a hiring manager shrink that down into this smaller time frame to figure out whether or not they have those characteristics, I guess would be a question. Yeah. Well, on a side note, the good thing about Overwatch is we're doing this for clients. You know, we have the ability to go back and evaluate and, you know, first of all, we have their background, but we don't take every candidate that we're talking to. So we're doing a lot of that selection for you. But one of the things that we lay out in, in the book is, you know, we walk you through, you know, how you define talent, how you define success, what the key principles are, and the things that you need to do to build a world-class talent acquisition team. And that includes, you know, what you and I know as recruiters, but it talks about, you know, and, and Mike has a great phrase that A players select A players. How do you identify those A players? How do you get those A players armed to start 
assessing those skills, who assesses them, when do you assess them, and how do you assess them? You know, of course, there's a nod to using a few outside tools, you know, Hogan or Leadership uh, 360, um, Leadership Circles. But, it, it, you know, we talk about how you actually can pressure test, you know, pitfalls to avoid, how you can actually start putting these people in, in you know, in an interview scenario that is going to draw out those attributes for you to look at. I mean, we basically in the book are providing you the guide of this is what talent looks like and the special forces, you know, across our U.S. military, nobody does it better. We show you what they look for, and then we tell you how to assemble that hiring team and some methodology to pull those characteristics out. But, you know, in the case of Overwatch, you know, outside of writing this book, that's what we're doing for our clients is, you know, uh, and having that conversation and then vetting and evaluating those candidates well before they get in front of a client. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let me just go back just a step here. How did you, how did you decide by the way, to start writing the book? I'm just curious as how that conversation happened. Who brought it, who brought it up first? Well, I, I, I got to give credit. I think Mike did. Um, but we weren't far apart when we started talking about it because with all of the things that I've seen in 20 years in talent acquisition, and then Mike being, you know, Mike is, is truly one of the best leadership instructors that I've seen plus his history you're sitting there going, you know, I have the best knowledge of how special operations selects, assess, uh, and train their people. And I'm sitting here looking at the pitfalls. And then Mike has also had all of that experience with clients. We just kind of everything clicked and go, we need to be writing about this. We need to tell people about this. There's countless books on all kinds of topics, but I don't think anybody looks at it from the angle that we are, where you're actually combining, you know, Mike's you know, unique knowledge about special operations, you know, both selection assessment and the real world operations, along with 20 years of real world talent acquisition from the executive level down to the, we just, it was his idea, but it was like, wow, light bulb went off. Um, and then, you know, it was a brilliant idea. It seemed simple at the time. And then that's when the hard work starts to happen. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, the, the tactical execution piece. Is it is it you guys like uh, dictating into uh, a recorder and like, okay, here's what I think, and and then somebody's trying to help you piece it all together? Is that how you're doing it? So when you don't know how to do something well or it's your fi- first time trying to, uh, to execute it, uh, you know, George and I are of the same mind. Go find somebody that does this for a living. So we yeah. found uh, yeah. a, a woman named, named Kelsey Adams, to help us through the process. And, you know, that's not a hit on our ego whatsoever. Uh, she's awesome. She's helped us, you know, format the book, put it into a logical flow, helped us write it. And uh, it's been a much better experience because of Kelsey. And we're learning along, along the way. It's the same reason. If you're a company looking for great talent, but you've not built a competency in hiring, then go find somebody that knows how to do it well. I mean, outsourcing is an art, and that's what talent acquisition firms are. But ultimately, as we know, the final decision of who you bring onto your team must rest with you. So who, who's the book for? Is it for HR managers, recruiters, executives, all the above? All the above. Uh, all the above. Yeah, all of the above. I, you know, the way that we and, – and, and, you know, Mike and I are really, really clear on this, and, and you know, you'll see it in the book um, – is you know this isn't preaching you know mike and i through our careers we have made more than our fair share of mistakes 
Um, and we hope that we exemplify resiliency because we've picked up and learned from those. Um, but this is for CEOs, this is for C-suite, this is for entire HR teams, for recruiters, this is for anybody that wants to know how to acquire talent. Um, and we think all size businesses can benefit from this, from your, you know, your small startup to your uh, small to medium business to your large corporations. And, and, and we wrote it with, you know, the idea in mind that we wanted to get our thoughts down, but we wanted to, to share that knowledge to help people do it right uh, to keep the U.S. American economy leading the way across the globe. Mm. What, what, Let me add one point there. And you know this. We know this. Uh, some of the listeners may not. Uh, the majority of CEOs, when asked what's their number one challenge, it's finding yeah. and retaining talent. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's business CEOs. Guess what the number one challenge is for the special operations community and military? It's finding and retaining yep. The industries don't matter. Again, remove the domain. That is the number, number one challenge for leaders of any organization. And we know how hard this is. And it goes to the point that, that George said, we're not preaching. We're not. This is hard. And if we can help a company just create a process about how they hire differently mm -hmm. and add structure to it, and especially a feedback loop. You, you mentioned the company that continually calls you for five resumes. If they keep calling you, it's almost our duty to say, hey, guys, we'll continue to find talent, but there's something going on internally that, you know, you, you continue to, to call us. Like, let, let's take a deeper look into the process. Are you creating That's a good. feedback loop to ask why this specific hire didn't work out down the line? Right. And what are you adjusting uh, in order to, to compensate for that? Are there pieces of the book uh, that you know, George, that HR, like a traditional HR person, is just going to immediately like, disagree with? Are they going to be like, oh, no, that, that doesn't work that way? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm certain that there are. There's a few in, there's a few in there. Um, but like, you know, we talk about, we're not preaching, not saying this is what you must do. What, you know, how we try to present this is that, look, ultimately, and, and we, uh, we, we've interviewed a number of top CEOs, CHROs, special operations leaders uh, that are, you know, contributed to the book and with quotes, advice, and, and their perspective on talent. Um, but I think HR leaders, some of them are going to disagree, but I think on the whole, most of them are going to say, yes, yes, thank you for elevating us from the operational to the strategic. Um, we make the point in the book that, you know, if your CEO and CHRO aren't attached at the hip and as far as a talent strategy, um, you're going to have challenges. And so we identify the, you know, it does in many parts lift the HR function as a whole to, to stress and to emphasize what a multiplier that is for businesses. It is not an overhead function. It is a strategic function mm -hmm. if you use it correctly. So, yeah, there's going to be a few going, yeah, you know, there's always going to be your doubters out there. Oh, yeah. But generally speaking, this is really um, pays tribute and honors or really lifts up. Uh, the capabilities of the HR function as a whole. What happens when you guys disagree on uh, on a topic in the book or a paragraph? Like, what, what do you flip a coin or how does that work? <laughs> I, I'm the first one to tell you, you know, the book writing has been hard. Um, there's no two ways about it because it's very hard when you have all that idea in your head to get it into crisp print format. 
but actually working with Mike has been, uh, it's been a whole lot. That part's been easier than I think, because for us, best idea wins. All right. You know, if I have, if I'm locked down on something on talent acquisition, Mike goes, wait a minute, I think it reads better this way. Like Roger that let's go. Uh, so we, we haven't had anything where one of us has had to draw a line or lay a stake in the ground. It's just been what reads best, what's going to service our clients, what's going to educate people the best if we run with it. Uh, There's an element of personal growth that I I think we both. Yeah. (laughs) The biggest thing of writing. That's true. Personal growth of when we disagreed, you know, we've had the, we've removed emotion from the equation. And I asked George, like, why are you sticking the sword in the sand on on this subject? And and he's done it with me. And and sometimes it was like, well, this is what I was heard. Okay. Let's think about it though. Does this make sense? And so we've changed our stance. Of course we had an outline going into it. And that outline has probably changed no less than uh, 50, 70 times. <laughs> Easy. And, and Steve, I want to correct you. Like, not only is this going to piss off uh, some HR members, you, you can't always please everyone. Uh, right. And we, we, we welcome uh, dissenting uh, viewpoints. We'd love to have that conversation because um, we may change our stance on something. But this is also going to piss off a lot of Navy SEALs. Oh. Because uh, this is probably one of the first books written where Navy SEALs part of the, the writing the book where it starts off with a story about the Army Special Forces, uh, colloquially known as Green Berets. And Mm. an amazing story uh, about how small teams overcame a uh, a massively larger force than them. So I'll probably get some phone calls from some of my brothers. uh, (laughs) That's my life, but um, I love the Green Berets. I love the Army Rangers. I love them all, man. They're they're, they're awesome elements. Slightly different, uh, but in a good way. Now, will they be will they be pissed because that story's in the book or because that story's first? Uh, probably because it's first. Uh, <laughs> don't worry, we, we 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 lay praise to the seals in pretty much every community within uh, the special operations community. But uh, we thought that was that we, we did that very uh, very decisively. Are you um, are you? Uh, I guess you're held accountable for how much you can share, right? I'm just assuming that there are yeah. some stories maybe you can't go into or do you have to have anybody quote from above uh, the department of defense approve anything like how, how high does this go mm-hmm. so well we have it in uh, the dod review process right now um we we absolutely want to do that but you know the, the thing we certainly did that because we absolutely want their blessing and their approval and and it's going through the process yeah. right now um, and, and Mike can elaborate more, but we were focused on the, the talent and leadership principles okay. versus anything that was tactics, procedures, or mission specific. Well, you know, that's not the point of the book. The point of the book is that what makes special operations special and how do we talk about that in the right way and a respectful way uh, that honors all of those who've contributed and to make an additional point, which I know Mike and I have stressed time and time again. Special operations doesn't operate in a vacuum. They don't operate by themselves. You know, it is a team effort, and and we've we've really strived to make sure that that's stressed in the book. That um, special operations requires a lot of non-special operations people to do the great things that they've been able to do. When do you think the book will be out? What do you anticipate release date? That's that's the question. We we're uh, we're anticipating and hoping for mid to late summer. Um, so, uh, you know, again, we, we wrote this in a way as not to compromise uh, or put special operations in any, uh, 
danger whatsoever. Um, we were very broad. Uh, we don't talk about means or methods. We, we talk about the broad principles and how to apply. Okay. But there's probably a couple, I'm, I'm guessing you put a few cool stories in there. A few cool, a cool, I mean, I would just think like you just said, it opens with the, it opens with the story, right? About, it does. About there's some stories in there. And uh, I, th I think there's some embarrassing stories about <laughs> me in there. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> Which George and, and yeah. I was like, keep it in there. It's good. I'm like, no, it's embarrassing. But um, uh, you know, people want to hear, I, I feel that way about when I, when I interview people on the Rider Flex podcast, people want to, they want to hear some personal stuff too. I, that keeps it interesting. So I think that's good, a good thing for sure. Yeah. So, all right. So mid to late summer and the title of the book is going to be um, the talent war, how special operations wins on talent. Is that right? That's it. Okay. All right. No change, no changing the title at this point. You're, you're too far down the, too far <laughs> down the path. Yeah, we, we, we've locked it. We've locked in the book cover and the artwork and, and all of that. And nope, nope. And uh, even that, you know, we talk about writing and, and Mike and I having ideas. I mean, we went through, Mike, what, 10, 12, 15 different book covers uh, because oh. we wanted everything to convey the right message. Well, did you did you put like a hot girl on the front cover or not? No, I'm just joking around. <laughs> well, we were going to put Mike's picture up there originally, but, you know, so. <laughs> uh, um, you know, I want to just summarize. the. I want to ask you a, a few questions outside of the book here real quick, just on candidates yeah. and, and jobs really fast. Um, but before that, just kind of summarizing on the book piece, the biggest thing that that touched me when I saw your notes was just this whole idea of hire for potential, hire for character. It's not just about the check boxes of, you know, the job spec versus experiences. I just can't express enough how much I agree with that. It It's the biggest thing for me as a recruiter. And I'm a former operations executive uh, before I was a recruiter. And uh, even this morning, even this morning, I had, I had a conversation with a client. I was presenting a finalist, great, great young lady that I think is going to make an excellent VP of sales. And, you know, same old thing. The, 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 the uh, employer looked at the resume for 30 seconds. I said, well, she, you know, she didn't, I don't see this on there. I don't see this on there. I said, have you watched the vid Have you watched my video interview? Have you watched the interview of me and her? Tell you what, watch the, watch the interview and then call me back. Because <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I believe the same. I, there's just, you know, the potential and the character and the whole, the entire interaction with the candidate and on and on and on. So I just wanted to tell you that I'm a huge fan of what you're trying to do with that piece of the book for sure. So let me ask a, a couple of questions here. And I know I've, I've already kept you on the phone here for almost an hour, but a few, a few other things. Um, Mike, let me start with you because I've hit George with this already um, in the first interview. Mike, when you're, when you're interviewing somebody, what, what, are the, what are the common mistakes, the most common mistakes you see from an average candidate doing an interview? Can you just touch on a couple of things real quick? The, uh, the pitfalls. Um, you know, I think the, the first is that they've done no due diligence with regards to researching the company. First thing, George. Uh, somebody first steps thing, George, in. <laughs> yeah, if somebody steps yeah. in. I, I'm, I want them to tell me something about my company that I didn't even know. I want them to show me that they, it, which is an indication of how passionate they are about the opportunity. 
that they researched who the executives are, if they get, could get access to the financials because it's a public company, um, you know, come in with an assessment, understanding potentially some of the challenges that we face. So that says everything. Um, I, I'm not so concerned about the resumes. I think resumes are dangerous for the reasons that you just stated. Somebody looks at it for 30 seconds and already makes, uh, yes. rules them out. Yeah. So number one is if you don't do your research, you've just shown me that you're not, uh, you have very little of what we call the military attention to, uh, to detail. Um, and also that you're not passionate uh, about the job. Second, uh, I would say is, uh, not having a strong grasp of who you are. Uh, you know, everyone knows their strengths for the most part, yeah. especially if you can't tell me a weakness and, and uh, if somebody says, Hey, my weakness is that I work too hard. Uh, you show me that, that you truly uh, lack humility. Uh, I could keep you here for a long time uh, talking about my greatest uh, weaknesses and the steps I'm taking to overcome them. The fact that I, I understand what they are and the steps I'm taking to overcome them to improve. Um, I think those are, uh, let me keep it simple. Those are probably the two biggest uh, pitfalls uh, that I see. Okay. Uh, okay. George, let me ask you a um, similar mm -hmm. topic here for candidates. What's your biggest piece of advice for, um, you know, people coming out of the service and trying to enter the, the workforce? What do you commonly uh, coach them on? You know, they just spent seven years in the, in the army or, or Navy yeah. coming out. What, what are some top tips for them? You know, the, so they really fall into two buckets. And, and one of those things is knowing yourself. And, and we actually have a chapter in the book, Know Thyself. Um, you know, people coming out of the military, they have a very difficult time articulating what makes them great or why they were successful or where they succeeded where others did not. Um, you know, so for me, the one thing that I wish candidates would do more is do more preparation. Now we're set up in Overwatch and, and Mike and I coach candidates on, on how to do that more effectively. But the number one thing they have to know is what makes them great. Beyond that, what are they trying to do next and why are they doing it? Because employers mm -hmm. want to know that you're making a conscious, a very purposeful decision to join their organization or join the corporate world and make an impact there just like you did in the military. So if, if they could learn to articulate or do the prep work necessary to know themselves inside and out, what's made them great, you know, to Mike's point, you know, what are their weaknesses? What are they doing to overcome them? What are their strengths that they continue to build on? What gaps do they have that they're trying to fill in and, and learn? You know, it may not be a weakness, it just may be a blind spot. What are they doing? And then what do they hope to accomplish with their professional lives when they come out? Just having a rough idea about that versus saying, yeah, I want to be in Pensacola, Florida, and I want to earn $100,000 a year. That's, that's not helpful. That's not preparation. That's not thoughtfulness. Um, there's a lot of materials out there, you know, certainly Overwatch and EF Legion and Echelon Front provide them. Uh, but doing the prep work and knowing yourself are the two big things for me. How about this, George? Um, other critical mistakes, one or two, that you see employers make beyond what we already talked about on the, you know, they're just looking at the resume and making a snap decision because of a specific experience. 
other mistakes you see from employers uh, during the hiring process or the interviewing process? Well, um, other than the industry experience piece, which I know we've talked about, you know, um, we address thoroughly in this book about a butts and seat mentality is that some companies are, are looking and incentivizing their HR and their TA teams to go for speed. Mm-hmm. Um, and quality is not the first criteria for filling the job. So and it, it's, it, and it creates such risk and, and we could talk for hours about that, but you know, we, we, we talked about it in the book. It's better to have, to have that seat go unfilled than to fill it with a butt in seat just so you can say that you got it done. So, you know, that fear-based hiring is, is really something that companies do, as I would say, the second biggest thing they do, other than over-reliance on, on industry or specific industry experience. It's the second thing is that butts and seat mentality. Oh, I've got an open position. I've got to get it filled or I'm going to lose the headcount. You know, they're not focused on the quality of filling that position and the long-term implications of getting a great hire into that position. That, that absolutely drives me nuts. The, probably the last thing is that, you know, uh, and we talk about this extensively in the book, and Mike, Mike teed it up, was the feedback loop. Uh, and we didn't go into it in great detail, but, you know, Mike was brought back to um, evaluate, teach, coach, train um, steel officers. You're taking an A player to select an A player. You know, and Mike is bringing those lessons from the front lines literally to the people that will be on the front lines next. And there's no feedback loop between the performance of people out on the front lines and what your talent acquisition group is doing. And and special operations does that better than anybody else. A continuous feedback loop. How do we train? How do we coach? How do we select? How do we assess better? And that loop just doesn't exist in companies on the whole or the majority of companies don't have that feedback loop. So those would be the three things, the industry experience, butts and seats, fear-based hiring, and making sure you have a good feedback loop that once you've selected those people, how did they perform and how can you fix that process to take it up a notch? Mm, Very good. Now you guys, um, you're a retained service. Is that accurate? You're not like Mm -hmm. a contingency. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. um, And so there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, first and foremost is that the amount of work and selection that we put into our candidates and the amount of time that we spend with our clients to make that match right. This is not about slinging resumes. This is, they're never going to see a resume until we understand fully what the success profile is, uh, where that company's trying to go in their particular space, what they're trying to do, their revenue goals, you know, new product goals, uh, production efficiency goals, that then we're looking for the candidate that we're already working with that is going to help the client accomplish their goals. So we keep it retained for that reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, we're not a resume service. And no, we, you know, we value our candidates and put so much work into them that we are not just going to be throwing those candidates out there and hoping that you pick one of ours. That's not, this is about talent and this is about businesses winning. I Those wish, are the two yeah. things we're trying to bring together. I wish so many, I wish employers, I wish every CEO on the planet could hear your speech right there. Perfect summary. And RiderFlex is the same. I, I, it just drives me crazy. I, I had this happen to me recently, and this speaks to what you just said. I have a guy call me. I don't know this person. He calls me and he says, hey, 
I noticed that uh, you have these three jobs on your RiderFlex uh, career board. I have the perfect candidates for those jobs. <laughs> I said, yeah. I said, I said, I yeah. said, I said, you don't even know my client. Like, what the hell are you talking? You, you haven't even talked to my client. How do you know they're the perfect candidates? Like, what do you, anyway, that's just an example of what goes on with some of this contingency bullshit that drives me nuts. Not yeah. to pick on contingency firms, but anyway, I'm going down, a, I'm ranting just a little bit, but I'm, I'm so glad you guys feel that way. I, we do too at Rider Flex. This resume racing and this contingency stuff is just poisoning what's happening out there with, with, with talent selection. It's crazy. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm happy we're on the same page with that. Hiring is, is half the, the equation. The other part is leadership development in the soft community. Yeah. The military does a great job of this because training never stops. Give you an example. Uh, I lay it out in the book. I think I trained for 80% of my 20-year career for 20% of the, uh, the combat. Um, even, in, even in a combat zone, like we would have uh, what we call pig labs where we had a pig and we would use it to conduct first aid training. Uh, I mean, we were constantly training our people and that's what the, a lot of the business world gets wrong. Again, it goes back to that, just hire and plug them into a position they better perform. Right. right. Uh, no. Oh, there is one more thing that we could bring up if you mm -hmm. want, Mike, that is, is that Overwatch isn't just a placement firm, is that Mike and I actually offer up the ability to go into clients to talk to them about their talent acquisition programs and how they're hiring. I mean, we right. also consult with people as well. So I do want to highlight that because, you know, we may go, we may talk to a company that, um, you know, the, the special operations veterans, they're not going to be a fit because maybe it's, it's, it's so heavy tech, but how they're acquiring talent, how they're evaluating talent. That's one of the things that Mike and I hope to drive with this book, but we are doing is, is consulting with talent acquisition, HR, and leadership, how to create better hiring programs. And, it, and in addition, where we can, how you include veterans into that hiring program. So we do offer that as well. I think that's great. And, and almost every company I've ever been involved with needs that kind of counseling and coaching, George. Uh, so often they're just rushing through it. They, for most companies, most companies, they, they wait till they have the opening, then they have the opening for a little while. And then they rush through the interview process because they're behind the eight ball on certain projects. And then they make some snap decisions on who to, who to hire. And then they throw the person in the chair and they don't really onboard them properly. And, and then the person gets frustrated and, and then it's just this crazy cycle. And then the person quits and then they're right back to where they started. I mean, it happens all the time. Uh, if they would, if they yeah, we were, uh, yeah, Mike was talking about that. Mike brought out these, uh, you know, we, we have different portions of the book that, that we both seem to hammer on it. And Mike brought up a phrase that, you know, I kind of felt stupid that I missed it, but it was that, that plug and play mentality that people think they can plug a resource in and that it guarantees success and that that person's going to be successful in a vacuum. You know, uh, you know, I was reading, you know, what, what, what Mike had, had drawn up for us. And it was like, you know, it's the leadership, the coaching, the mentorship. You can't plug and play. You can't do the button seat. You have to invest in that talent. Um, and, and if you don't, you know, you're ruining, you know, your talent. And, and how many times have we both seen where you bring a rock star in, you do all of the work of assessing the candidate and assessing the fit, you put the two together and then it's like they expect miracles 
without just for that person to go drive them into that market space to drive revenue $100 million or to fix this product line. And they just thought it was magically going to happen without the coaching, the leadership, the mentorship, you know, the assimilation, the investment in the talent that you just took so much time and effort to acquire. That's right. That's right. I couldn't agree more. Well, I can't wait for the book to come out. Now, do I get like a signed copy or anything? What, what do I get you will. at RiderFlex? Rider get... <laughs> okay. All right. Very good. In, um, fact, in fact, we want a blurb from you. Oh, so, okay. Excellent. And I'll send you some examples and uh, we'll throw you on the back cover. I, that would be awesome. I really appreciate that. Um, you know, you guys, um, first of all, congrats again on the career, Thanks. Uh, the, the, the service you provided to the country. Really appreciate it. Um, and, you know, you, you both have already been very, very successful in your careers right now. You're really writing this book. I feel like it's very genuine that you're just trying to help people. I mean, yeah, if you, if you make some money on it, that's cool too. But really, you're just trying to help and teach. Yeah. Um, and I feel that on you. And so um, kudos for that. The other thing I wrote down like four times as we were talking that I just wanted to kind of summarize with, I think it's good for the listeners. Humbly confident, hum, humbly confident, you said, Mike. And both of you are no. exa uh, both of you are exactly like that. Like you both definitely are confident enough guys to where, you know, if I was at a bar and some, some bad guys showed up, I'd, I'd want you standing next to me. It's like you're confident. <laughs> But you're also super humble, too, all at the same time. And I think that is a special attribute. Uh, and uh, so I just wanted to give you some, some compliments on that. Thank you. Well, thanks. I, I would tell you, you know, one of the things is, um, you know, Mike models it for me. I try to model it for him. But what's interesting about the dynamic about writing the book is that, you know, uh, you got to bring your A game. Uh, that's what the two of us are more driven about. And, and, you know, if my A game, for whatever reason, my contributions are A minus or B plus, hey, I, I know Mike's going to check me on it and I got to bring it up to that A plus level. Um, I, I, we've both had that mindset for the, for the longest time. And, I, and I'm very grateful to be working with somebody who, you know, pushes me to drive better content or to work with clients or candidates better. Even though I've been doing it 20 years, you know, it, it you can always up your game. You can always improve. And there's, there's always some way to get better. And, and, you know, I, I, I'm gifted to work with, with Mike and, and Overwatch as we, you know, go on this journey. I appreciate it, gentlemen. Thank you so much. By the way, you said, uh, I think Mike, your quote was a players hire a players and B B players actually yeah. hire C players, <laughs> right? <laughs> the RiderFlex podcast features entrepreneurs, business executives, and the stories behind how they got there, as well as daily tips on career advice and job interviews. Our show can be heard just about anywhere these days, but you can visit RiderFlex.com and click on the podcast page to hear all the previous episodes and learn more about the recruiting and consulting services we provide. Contact us at the email address info at riderflex.com or 888-964-5876. Thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoy our show, please be sure to subscribe to our channel and like the episodes.